Okay, imagine this. You're stranded in the wilderness, and staying alive is dependent upon you building your own shelter, starting a fire without matches, and maybe even eating bugs for nourishment. Do you have what it takes? Here's a little quiz. See how you do. What's the single most important thing you need to survive in the wild? Is it food, water, or warmth? If you said water, you were right. The human body needs a minimum of two quarts of water per day for good health. One day without water is cause for serious concern, and three days without water could lead to death. Next question. What do lush vegetation and swarming insects often indicate? Is it dead animals, water, or fertile soil? If you chose water, you were right. Ample plant life, insects, and bird flight paths and animal tracks can all point toward water sources. Why should you melt snow or ice before drinking it? To avoid cutting your mouth on sharp ice? To avoid brain freeze? Or to avoid dehydration? To avoid dehydration is the correct answer. Eating frozen snow and ice will reduce your core body temperature and lead to dehydration. Who knew? Oh my gosh, I didn't do very well in this quiz. I hope you did better than I. But our next guest will have some more information on this subject. And goodness gracious, I need it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. And I'm here with an herbalist and a mountaineer, Sarah Gillespie, lives on 80 acres of land in the Appalachian Mountains. And she is an expert in everything from surviving in the wilderness to selecting the right trees for firewood, building fires with no matches. Oh my gosh, Sarah, help, help. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Connie. I'm happy to be here. You know, we live in this crazy time when the economy is unstable and natural disasters seem to be happening all the time everywhere. And the government has tried to prepare us for anything. And they're constantly telling us to go to their website, which is ready.gov, those FEMA people. They want us to be ready for anything. And they give us the list of emergency supplies we need to have. And I don't know how many of us actually do it. But in this time, people like you, who are actually specialists in survival skills, are sorely needed. And I want to talk to you about this because I'm really curious about how you came to live on your tract of land and how you became a survival skills specialist and, and everything. Tell us your story. Well, I actually came by the land because of my family. Um, the land that I currently live on has actually been in my family for close to 200 years. And this is the area of the world where I grew up and was raised. And I was raised learning these skills, being t taken out into the forest by my father and learning what wild foods that could be foraged and learning how to build lean-tos out of things that you find in the forest if you need to build a shelter, learning how to find my way out of the forest in the event that I got lost. So to me, they were just skills that I was taught, and it just so happens that those same skills seem to be have a lot more relevance today. 
For sure, for sure. So you're going to host a six-day retreat this summer where you will teach people simple skills like using an axe, building a fire, tracking moon cycles, building a sweat lodge, that sounds cool, identifying edible plants and plant medicines, making herbal tonics and vinegars, and dispensing mountain first aid, that's interesting, honoring the Cherokee medicine wheel, and alleviating common physical ailments through yoga. Wow, that sounds pretty practical. <laughs> Tell us why these kinds of skills are more important now than ever. Well, I think that I've seen estimates that 51% of the world's population lives in an urban environment. And in the United States, that percentage goes up to 79%. And I think with that, people have an incredible disconnectedness with their natural environment and how to interact with it and how to work with it to allow it to support them. And I think that that makes these skills all the more relevant for people to get into a natural environment and immerse themselves there and to learn how to work with the land and appreciate its abundance. Yeah, so many people do seem to live in cities, uh, like you said, the high, high percentage of the population, and we are disconnected. So how does going out into the uh, woods with you <laughs> lend itself to our learning some of these skills? Well, I think that when, when people come here and they are immersed in the woods, I mean, there are many places here where I live that you can't even get a cell phone signal. So it kind of forces people into a place that makes them a bit uncomfortable. And it forces them to have a connected with a connectedness with nature, it makes them step outside of their normal routine. And I think that it takes away that interdependency that we have on electricity, on just the grid that we're all used to tapping into every day. So um, just immersing people in the natural environment and giving them that connectedness with nature, I think is incredibly important. Take us through a typical day at a retreat with no electricity, no technology. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I could do it. But <laughs> take, us <through> a <laughs> take us through a typical day. Well, we, we do have electricity. I mean, I, I'm, I definitely am have a stove and indoor plumbing. And oh, okay. So we're not totally roughing it, roughing it right? Yeah, well, actually, the, the students that come in, or at least the first retreat that we had, um, the students do come and they camp. And we did, I did teach them how to cook a meal on an open campfire flame. Tell me what you cooked. <laughs> oh, wow, what did we cook? We cooked a stir, a Indian stir fry, I believe. Oh, because I have a hard enough time figuring out what I'm going to cook with all the modern conveniences. So, gosh, put me in a campfire and <laughs> I'd have s'mores every night, I think. have the opportunity to work with people who had never had that experience in life. You know, because for me, that's what I grew up doing. My, my family and I would go out every chance we got to go camping and to cook over the campfire and it was just interesting to me to see these women. It was 12 women who came for the first retreat to see how in awe they were about this activity because it was just such a foreign thing for them. Yeah. And learning to live with less. 
I mean, talk about that a little bit, because I think I think when you are out in nature and and, um, you know, away from the city, the city, the comforts, the creature comforts, you can really learn to live on less. It's very true. I really, you know, I had a very successful career in information technology for close to 20 years. And I definitely enjoyed the modern comforts of having a nice house in the city and um, a nice car and all the nice perks that come with having a nice salary. And I decided that I wanted to simplify my life. And you really can get by with a lot less if you just simplify. Um, Like I I moved from a three-bedroom, two-bath house in the city to a 700-square-foot cabin in the woods. And how has your life changed? I have to say that I have less stress in my life. I'm not working 100 hours a week anymore like I used to or more. Uh, it's just my energetically, I feel different. If I am having a stressful day, I can just step outside of my cabin and go directly into the forest. And it immediately gives me a sense of peace and calm and soothes me in a way that only getting out into nature can. Right, right. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about the retreat. So we get to use an ax. I can't tell you the last time I've used an axe. That's a health. That's a that's a very helpful skill. So to chop wood, I, I'm assuming. Anything else? Yes. Yeah. To chop wood. That pretty much. <laughs> that's it. I mean, it's, it, that's the wonderful thing about primitive skills is that they're all pretty basic. I yes. Mean, just the ability to build your own fire to give yourself warmth and to go out into the forest and find products of the forest that you can actually eat to nourish yourself there are so many people in this world that have no idea i mean they think that a tomato came off the grocery store shelf they don't even realize hey that grew in a farm or a greenhouse or so it's just a very basic it's getting back to the basics of survival of you know, if, if something catastrophic did happen in the world, imagine if the, the electric grid, for some reason, was knocked out. Imagine if just one of our satellites that hover over the Earth were knocked out and disconnected us from using cell phones or from, therefore, from having any sort of access to banking and therefore our money. There are just, it, it could take something very simple that could really cripple our society. And having those basic skills of being able to feed yourself, being able to keep yourself warm without having to depend on electricity or gas or anything else but yourself and what you have to work with in nature. Why is it important to track moon cycles? Well, they're, they're the old timers, at least here where I'm from, and I think this is probably true across the globe. Uh, there are different, I'm not even sure how to say this, there, there, there are different powers related to each moon cycle. Like at the, at the, with a new moon, it's a very, it's a growth cycle. It's going from nothing into the moon growing to its fullness. And that growth is actually something that impacts literally the growth of plants. It, it, it impacts us spiritually. 
Yeah, yeah. It's learning to really align your life with what is happening in nature, how you start things at the new moon and you try not to start new things as the moon is waning. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so much information that I just hadn't incorporated into my planning. But yeah, now I'm starting to think about it a little bit more. So it's true also for just growing plants. There are certain um, there are certain types of vegetables that you should plant at different type at, at different times in the moon cycle. Yeah. So I mean, if you're planting a vegetable that's a root vegetable versus a vegetable that needs to get a lot of sunlight or a green leafy vegetable, each of those have different moon cycles. Where if you plant with the cycles, they have their more optimum growth. You, you'll be talking about at this retreat, Dispensing Mountain First Aid. Can you, can you talk about what that's all about? Well, just very basic first aid skills. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who come up to the mountains and they go for hikes and they might sprain their ankle or um, they might get a snake bite or there are all kinds of things that can happen in nature. And it's just very basic knowledge of understanding how to make a splint out of sticks in the woods, understanding things that in the woods that can act as a cord to wrap something with other than having string or rope with you. There are different plants in the forest that can immediately ease pains or a a sting or a bite. So teaching people how, how to identify those I mean, something as simple as someone getting into a bed of poison ivy and knowing what the antidote for that is. Yeah. What is the antidote for that, by the way? Uh, There are several. One of them is jewelweed. There's a plant here. I I know I'm I'm much more attuned to the folk names of medicine, um, but um, jewelweed is a beautiful plant that is really considered a weed here. I mean, people go, go along the highways and just chop it down. But it actually has significant medicinal value and is a great remedy for poison ivy. Wow, that's really cool that you're you're teaching that. So honoring the Cherokee medicine wheel, let's talk about that a little bit because Native American traditions and Native American spirituality has been lost in our culture to some extent, but I think a lot of people are trying to bring it back. And um, it's also a very cool way to get in touch with nature and the, the four north directions. Sa- directions. Thank you. <laughs> I thought there was a different word, but it's directions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so simple. Talk about, talk about the medicine wheel and how that works. I'm still learning about that myself. I actually have a, a dear friend who is a native Cherokee and spiritual leader. His name is Yona Guska. And he is 100% Cherokee, and I'm sure that he will have a lot of insight when our group comes to educate us even deeper and more and further about that. And he'll also take the group into a sweat lodge if they're interested in that? Yes, yeah, so we're, our intention is that Yelna will come and we'll build a sweat lodge together, and those who want to participate, we will have a sweat ceremony. The sweat lodge for the the native cultures, and it's not just Cherokee, there are a lot of native tribes that use sweat lodge as a spiritual ceremony. Um, Generally, they would have sweats around the different um, solstices Mm -hmm. of the year, 
And a lot of times they would have lodge to put out intentions, like say there was a drought and they wanted to ask for more rain. They would have a sweat and really put their intentions into that prayer. Um, Also, a sweat lodge is a very cleansing. I mean, I don't know if you've ever sat in a sauna and Mm -hmm. the way that that cleanses you. Well, a sweat lodge is just a more basic form of a sauna. Hmm. So, and and a sweat lodge ceremony would be sort of one of purification, right? Yes. So, yes. so that you can purify the body to have a more direct line to spirit, I guess. Yes, exactly, and a more direct line to those those spirits that are guiding us through the world. Yeah, and think about it: if all of our technology was out and we had no connection to others. I think a, a connection, a spiritual connection is important all the time, but even more so when we're in survival mode, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, Sarah, let's talk about some practical tips for someone who may be living outside of uh, Raven Gap, Georgia, with um, a lot more in a lot more of a city-fied way, what advice can you give to the bulk of the population who is living away from the nature that you're so exposed to and, and lucky enough to live near? What can you offer as just a few pieces of advice for surviving potential times of crisis or, God forbid, disaster? I would encourage them. I mean, even in an urban environment, there are natural areas. Um, and I would encourage people to ha- take the opportunity to go and explore those. Go into the forest and take your shoes off and let your feet hit the earth and know what that feels like and really sit with it. Go into the forest and start trying to identify some of the trees that you're surrounded by. Even if you're in a city park, I mean, you could be in Central Park and learn a great deal. I know that there's a lot of wild foraging that goes on in Central Park. So, Nature is all around us. We just have to take the time and give ourselves the opportunity to to be in touch with it instead of just whizzing by it in a fast car. Yeah, and it can only enhance our lives. Absolutely. I love your final description uh, where you say, of the retreat, where you say evenings will be spent by a blazing campfire, roasting marshmallows, stargazing, and sharing stories. That sounds so wonderful. Look, honey, you should come on down and experience with us sometime. So uh, for more information about Sarah and her retreat, you can contact her at, go Sarah. Sarah at warwomanventures.com. And it's S-A-R-A-H, correct? Correct. At, at warwomanventures.com. And Sarah, in her, her day job is she's a marketing management events and web designer. <laughs> that you run from your home in Rabin Gap, Georgia. What a great life you must have. Well, it's... It's pretty cool. It, just it is, just admit it. It is a beautiful life, I have to say. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about survival tips. And I, I guess we should say that for more basic information about surviving disasters or natural disasters or other, I don't even want to 
put that out there, but you can go to ready.gov, the FEMA site, and they have lots of good information. And they're always looking for volunteers, actually. But if you have a chance to go down and attend Sarah's retreat, I would highly recommend that as well. So look into it. Thank you, Sarah. Great to talk. You too.